0: You are listening to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along this Tuesday afternoon. A lot to get to today. I've got a couple of guests who are going to join me in the ESPN-UP phone line here in just a second. We've got roller derby to talk about. I'll have a couple of guests in studio coming up here in a little less than 15 minutes. Don't miss that interview. Plus, we've got Northern Michigan Tuesdays here in ESPN-UP. I've got audio from hockey and basketball. Plus, we preview Women's lacrosse coming up here in a couple of weeks. All that and more, though, is coming up of the course next hour. Here on the Sports Pen and I'm glad to have you along as always. First though, let's turn it over to the ESPN-UP phone line and let's talk to a pair of brothers who have revolutionized the ice resurfacing industry. Paul and Dave Van Eyle join us on the ESPN-UP phone line from Elgin, Minnesota. First of all, good afternoon. Thank you both for being on with me. Tell me about this project, the So26, which you believe is going to revolutionize the ice resurfacing industry.
1: Sure. First of all, thanks for having us on the air. Um, so, this project started about eight years ago, and uh, when I was basically sitting, waiting to play hockey and get on the ice, and saw the Zamboni come on the ice, and for whatever reason, I just thought, well, there must be a faster way to do this. And called my brother Dave, and uh, we met at a local coffee shop, and we just started brainstorming and, you know, started making some drawings, and, uh, uh you know, long story short, eight years later, you know, two and a half million dollars later, several investors, uh, robotics company, you know, six prototypes. Uh, we're here with uh, with our prototype.
0: <laughs> well, I've been seeing the numbers, and it's fascinating how revolutionary the So Two Six is. Tell me about what it looks like now, as compared to maybe the first model.
1: Sure. So the concept here is, I guess, first of all, we want to say we have a tremendous respect for what Zamboni created back in 1949, and, uh, you know, the product was phenomenal, and uh, I think they've done a fantastic job. This simply builds on what has been done for, you know, for several decades. We look at Zamboni or Olympia or Ngo Icecat, the other companies, um, it takes them roughly around 10 minutes or so to resurface a sheet of ice, and they cover about seven foot at a time. So we thought, instead of making the large, single-driven, 9,000-pound machine the focus of the resurfacer, that we would basically cut it up and divide it into four units. So you can buy either two units, three units, or four units. And if you cut it up, you're basically, instead of just covering seven feet at a time, you're covering up to 24 feet at a time. It's kind of like if you see um, snow plows going down a freeway, and they're plowing a freeway, and they have several kind of staggered in a row, Uh, it's basically resurfacing the ice uh, by committee. So instead of one large machine laying down 100 gallons of water, each machine only needs to lay down 25 gallons of water. And so you're basically resurfacing by committee instead of one large machine.
0: How about the blade system that you send out there onto the ice? I understand that it's unique to your machine.
2: Well, we spent years testing the standard blade used in the current machines, and uh, what everything we were told from the beginning was that we wouldn't have the torque, traction, weight, etc. to be able to shave ice. So we really had to rethink that from the beginning and come up with a, a brand new concept to shave that would reduce the drag on the machine so we didn't either stall or spin out on the ice. So what we've come up with and patented is a brand new system that doesn't use anything close to the current blade system. Uh, reduces torque reduces necessary torque, reduces drag, but i can 't elaborate too much. We have patented it, but I still don 't want to elaborate too much on how it does that, but I can tell you it's it 's nothing like the current blade system used
0: when I understand that no fossil fuels, anything like that is involved it 's all done electrically
2: yeah, a lot of the industry is going that direction anyway just because of uh, you know risks of uh, you know using LP in a, in an enclosed environment. So the industry is, t- is going that direction regardless, so it didn't make any sense for us to start a brand-new technology with a uh, you know, very old system of energy.
0: How about the navigation system? You've got autonomous navigation. Tell me about what went into that.
2: Uh, a lot has gone into that, and a lot still needs to go into that. The, uh, the world of navigation and autonomy has just it leaps and bounds every year. Um, more and more stuff becoming off the shelf. You know, high school kids are creating autonomous snow blowers and lawnmowers. It, it's really changed rapidly. Uh, the challenges we're stuck with in this industry is that ice rinks have very little for a, a typical object detection to look at. You can't look at, let's say, walls or other objects that a LiDAR system might find. Our, our system has challenges because of a very large wide open space with a lot of very reflective surfaces in partnership with a boston company we've come up with a system that uh, addresses some of those issues and we've ran many tests in many rinks now and had some considerable success
0: well i imagine over the course of eight years you've had some times where you felt like the tests didn't go well you felt like maybe scrapping the project
2: i'd say over the course of seven years we've had probably uh many 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 times where we thought about scrapping the project but uh you know, for, for as fast as we figure new things out or run into an obstacle where we realize we need to figure something new out, uh, technology also advances right along with it. So by the time we get done with one project, a, a new version of LiDAR might come out or uh, a new type of Terror ranger sonar sensor comes out. So uh, technology is advancing in this realm so quickly that uh, I'm, not, I'm not too worried of running run into a brick wall when it comes to the autonomy side of it.
1: And just uh, elaborate on that. Uh, when we started this project, virtually no one said that we couldn't autonomously run a unit on the ice. It was, people's issues were more to do with the torque required to shave the ice. And that's what we have spent uh, a ton of time and energy on. But very few people, you know, have doubted the fact that we can autonomously run, uh, you know, routes on the ice. That's being done with, uh, tractors, being done with so many different items nowadays.
0: Dave, Paul, how about the local reception around where you are, around the Rochester, Minnesota area? How's the community taken to it and perceived your project?
1: Um, interesting enough, uh, it's been extremely positive. And, uh, you know, interesting enough, we've actually had a lot of ice resurfacer drivers, you know, drive Zambonis or Olympias. Uh, they've been some of our biggest supporters. And, uh, you know, we have a, we've had a lot of input, from those individuals that actually are managing these arenas. You know, we've had nine different arenas, I believe, now that we've uh, done test runs on, and they've been very receptive and very supportive of what we're doing.
0: So it takes the average Zamboni, what, about 15 minutes to resurface ice. How long does it take the so 6
2: So there's really two elements to it there. The amount of time it takes to actually run the machine around the ice and resurface But there's also the time it takes to then scoop the snow off the door when you uh lift the conditioner up and then drive off the ice, you have to come out and shovel all that slush off. So when you really consider the door open to door close time, that the total elapsed time that you cannot be on the ice as a skater. Uh what we our machine is designed to scrape or to basically scrape all that snow off the ice with you. So as the machine leaves it takes it with you and the blades raised but the conditioner elements are not. So when you really take all the elapsed time, we believe we can take it from about a 10 to 12-minute elapsed time down to about a 2 to 3-minute elapsed time.
0: Are you still making changes to it, still trying to perfect it a little bit more?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The the new generation we have here, the Generation 6 that we've built, has had very few hours on the ice right now. And that uh, the video that we posted out there has no video of Gen 6 because a lot of a lot of significant changes on it and significant improvements on it, but I'd say we're we're not at the at the uh, in the end zone yet with this product. We have a ways to go.
0: How about the navigation system? Is it something you can program on the machine itself, or would it be something like a joystick you're controlling remotely?
2: Um. Well, without giving without saying too much about how it's all done, um. There, well, there's two operation modes. There's one operation mode that I use for testing purposes, which is a manual mode, and that uses something that would look like a, uh, a controller to a video game console. And I can use that to both control the driving functions as well as turn elements like water and valves and uh, pumps, etc on and off. So that, that's when I'm in testing mode. Uh, when, it, when it's in autonomous mode, it, it uses a path planning system. Uh, the best way to probably describe it is a... Uh, Uh, an xyz of a uh, cnc router or something of that nature where it uses a waypoint following um and then it uses a combination of onboard sensors as well as exterior sensors to help it locate itself on the ice as well as navigate from waypoint to waypoint
0: so you've had six patents you raised 2.5 million dollars what's the next step for you guys
1: well, we feel that we're one investment away right now from going to market, and uh, we feel the next step is looking for a strategic partner that uh, has potentially some manufacturing experience, and because uh, we have to do extant- substantial safety testing, um, you know, we don't want to get out to market all of a sudden have a massive recall, you know. So we want to do extensive testing and uh, you know make sure that we. You know, get together with the right investor and not just any investor. You know, so um, but we believe once that uh, relationship is, you know, is completed, um, you know, we could be as little as two years away from market. Uh, but I don't want to put a date on it necessarily. It uh, really depends. Really depends on on how this next uh, phase goes.
0: Dave and Paul Van Isle join us on the ESPN-UP phone line from Elgin, Minnesota. Two brothers revolutionizing the ice resurfacing industry. Appreciate you both being on. That was great stuff. Looking forward to seeing how it all pans out with the So2-6. Thank you very much. I appreciate your
2: time.
1: Yeah, thanks for your
0: time. Let's take a time timeout. When we come back, we'll talk roller derby in the Marquette area next on ESPN UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at four on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back,
0: Tanner Hoops, with you. Glad that you're along. A couple guests join me in studio now, representing Dead River Roller Derby here in Marquette. We've got Pepper and Indy Five Hundred. And first of all, thank you both for being here. Second of all. The those are outstanding names, and I want to ask each of you how you got those names. How'd you come up with Pepper in Indy 500?
3: <laughs> well, thanks for having us. Um, my name uh, was... Um, I, I own a restaurant, so mm. I wanted something food-related, and uh, I just liked pepper. I thought it was kind of snappy and fun and a
4: little bit spicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. That was about eight years ago. Is that, I, okay.
0: Yeah. How about you, Indy 500?
4: Well, I started skating about a year ago, and I didn't know what my derby name was going to be, so I kind of put it up to my friends uh, to come up with a pool of names and vote on the one that they like best and after my friend recommended Indy 500 we all agreed that that was the name for me
0: how do you come up with names in general does everybody have to have a name is it like a requirement to be part of roller derby
3: it's not a requirement but most it's kind of a rite of passage mm-hmm. more than anything uh it's uh, some names are uh, some names you come up on your own sometimes you have friends help you and some names are just kind of given to you because of something that happened <laughs>
0: sure. all right so, so everybody's got their own name on your team yes. right okay yep. mm-hmm. all right so tell me about your squad the dead river derby i mean that First of all is a great name with that as well You guys are good at that Coming up with names But tell me about the team And, uh, and uh, what people could expect If they're coming out and watching
3: Well we started in 2012 and we've trained very hard since then. This is our eighth bouting season that we're starting. Uh, April eighteenth is our first home game, and we're very excited because we we get to play at a venue that we've never played at before, and that is the Nagani Ice Arena. And uh, for that game, we have Rockford Rage uh, coming up from Rockford, Illinois, and. Um, uh, that'll be the first time we've ever played them. Uh, but Dead River Derby's been around since 2012. Uh, we we are a very competitive team. Uh, we beat a lot of teams that are from much bigger cities and have a bigger pool, but we train super hard. We're very dedicated. Uh, and we came in second place in Mitten Kitten, the Michigan Roller Derby Tournament last year, uh, which is something that we're very proud of. But this year, we're going for it we're going for number one we want the first place trophy <laughs> so this
0: isn't just a local league i mean you're getting teams from all over as far as rockford i mean this is a big league we're talking about
3: yeah we have a uh, 16 or 17 skaters um it's our our uh, our, our t te- our we call it a team or our chartered roster we we compete with other teams from all over and we actually compete for national and world rankings through wifta which is women's flat track derby association um so yeah we uh we
4: were in it to compete hardcore
0: (laughs) where is your home venue typically
4: uh we practice during um once the ice is taken out of the lakeshore arena that's where we do most of our practicing and where our home games are um, held the ones that are here in marquette um but for now you can find us in the barriga gym uh getting our skills up training the fresh meat and uh, be part of the team once the bouts start.
0: Is most of your talent local, or do you pretty much pull uh, anyone from wherever?
4: Well, we'll take people from wherever they'll come to us. I think that most of our people are from um, Gwyn or Ishwaming or Marquette or Nagani. Um. We have one skater that comes from
3: uh, south of Escanaba mm-hmm. and one from Iron Mountain as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So tell me about roller derby. How does the scoring work? What's the gameplay like? What have you?
3: Uh, it's flat. Uh, first of all, it's on a flat track. Uh, it's women's flat track derby, uh, and it's uh, it's an oval. Um, it's a it's kind of a small, short track, uh, and it's uh, um, a game is uh, two half hour uh, halves, and it's broken up into what are called jams, and jams can be uh, last anywhere up to two minutes, and. Each jam uh, starts with a whistle, and you have a line that's called a jammer line. And you have two jammers, one from each team. They are the scoring people. They have a star on their helmet. And then you have four blockers from each team that are in front of that line. Uh, And when the whistle blows, the jammer's job is to fight their way through that pack of eight blockers and get through to the other side. Once one of them's through, they can come back or they skate all the way back around. And then as soon as they start passing the hips of opposing blockers, that's a point for each one of those hips. And that's how it's scored.
4: So,
0: so how many skaters would be out there at a given time?
4: Assuming uh, that yeah. both teams had all skaters on the track, it would be 10 total four blockers and two jammers, mm-hmm. or four blockers and one jammer for each team. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are a lot of. Uh, a lot of times people will have penalties and be sitting in the penalty box, so at, you know, any given time, there there might not be all 10 skaters if, you know, a jammer or several blockers are in the penalty box.
0: Do you have referees and coaches and everything associated with it?
3: Yeah, we have. Uh, you can have up to 7 uh, referees, uh, on, and the referees are actually on skates as well. Uh, there's roughly anywhere from 10 to 15 non-skating officials who are doing things like keeping the track of the score, uh, uh keeping Uh, track of penalties penalties Mm -hmm. and the penalty box timing Mm -hmm. um and a bunch of other statistics that go along with that uh and then there um you don't have to you're not required to have a coach but there's up to four bench staff uh working on each bench as well so there's quite a few people involved and you can have a
4: roster of up to 15 skaters
0: how about the equipment what kind of equipment do you need to participate in roller derby
4: well first things first you got to have your skates the quad skates so um Obviously, four, not like inline. Um, and then you have to have uh, knee pads, elbow pads, uh, wrist guards, um, helmet—very important. Mouth guard. I forgetting anything? I don't think so. I think. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to
0: ask each of you individually how you got started in roller derby, how it became an interest for you. Indy 500. I'll start with you.
4: I actually hadn't heard of roller derby until I was like in college. That's like five years ago now or something like that. And as soon as I like learned what it was, I was very interested in it. I was living in Houston at the time, so huge roller derby scene. And I was able to go to a couple bouts there that had like hundreds of people in attendance. And I loved the atmosphere of it. When I moved to Marquette, I didn't... Well, actually, I found out pretty soon that there was roller derby. I think I went to one of my first games here. Like, I attended it, um, I think, the summer that I moved here. Um, but I always thought that like I couldn't do it like I wouldn't be successful or like it was too scary for me or something like that and when uh January roller derby boot camp came around um whose purpose is to train in fresh meat skaters so people who maybe have never done roller derby or even skating before um I pushed myself to do it even though it sounded scary and even though I didn't know if I would be any good at it. Which is something that I would recommend that everyone does. If you are listening to this and you think that this sounds interesting, but you think that you maybe are too scared or maybe wouldn't be that good at it, do it because I, when I first started, could barely stand up on skates, and now I am bowing and I am, Woo-hoo. I am, like doing a pretty good job. Right, doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How about, how
0: about you, Pepper? How'd you get started?
4: Well, I was
3: a rink rat when I was a kid. And that was a long time ago. Uh, And when rollerblades kind of came back and, you know, came in style, um, I didn't really like rollerblades. I liked roller skates. And it had been about 25 years since I had roller skated. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to rollerblade. I don't like the way they feel on my feet. So I... Went and hunting for a really good pair of speed skates, roller skates, and so I found those about two years before roller derby started up here, and I hadn't even heard of roller derby at that point. Um, uh, And then there was a interest meeting, and I believe right around March or April of 2012, and roller derby. And I was so excited, I showed up. I had a little roller skate t-shirt on, and I was a week late. It was the prior Monday to that. (laughs) So the good Good news is, is I still got to join uh, this this movement and this uh, team that was just starting fresh here in Marquette. Uh, the, um, and also, the good news was I didn't have to be like on the administrative side of it. I just got to skate. So it was awesome for me. Um, but that was, uh, that'll be nine years ago in uh in april that that started
0: so we're talking with pepper and indy 500 of dead river roller derby here in marquette so i'm just curious if anyone wanted to get involved anybody's listening to this and they think it sounds like fun or even if they want to come out check out a home meet where did they go to find information do you have a website anything like that
3: we have a, a facebook page dead river derby uh it's um uh, we're always looking for volunteers, referees on skates non-skating officials for bouts or practices uh, we're always looking for more skaters um, and it's not it's one of those things that we could te- we teach you how to skate so even if you have very little or no skating skills we can Teach you. It's just a matter of time. Put putting the time in, and uh, w- the desire to do it. And it's such a fun group of people. Uh, we get together quite often outside of roller derby as well. We travel together. It's it's a really good time. Um, but Dead River Derby, uh, we do not have a web page at this time. We're all volunteers, so that's a lot of time and effort. Uh, so we'd, we unfortunately we haven't got to that point yet. Uh, but uh, our Dead River Derby. If you message us and you have any. Questions questions, we usually get back with you within a few minutes.
0: Tell me about the off-season, what have you. How do you go about getting ready for the season to start?
4: Do we have an off-season? <laughs> <laughs> Some people take an off-season. <laughs> we we really start practicing. Well, uh, January is when we have like fresh meat practices, so where we're training in people who want to be part of the upcoming season, and then off-season is kind of like November, December, but um, a lot of us really just enjoy skating so much and preparing for it that will you know skate twice a week during the on season and and practice for it doing cardio and stuff in the off season too it
3: also gives us a chance to go and go to other camps like for really um you know talented skaters they mm-hmm. offer boot camps all over and uh, so some of us will travel uh, we get a uh, few of us went to na- uh, world championships this year in Montreal a group of us went there to watch that and we've been to Philadelphia to watch that um, all over there's and roller con too there's guys. roller con <laughs> I, we, I went to RollerCon this July and uh, there was a, f- a group of us that went to RollerCon, which is like the mecca of roller derby in Las Vegas every year, and uh, it's kind of like it, when, when you're in roller derby, you have to go to roller con at least once. And they have all kinds of boot camps, and it's just a blast. And it's roller derby, 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 derby. So uh, you get to play as much as you want, uh, and um, you know, sit by the pool occasionally too. So
0: <laughs> what is the farthest that you've traveled for a competition?
3: The farthest that we traveled for a competition. It's Probably, uh, well, we we did go to Canada uh, a couple times. Uh, we, we travel a lot in Wisconsin and Michigan mainly. Mm-hmm. We have to travel quite a bit uh, in lower Michigan because it's hard to get teams to come up here because <laughs> it's a long drive. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we know. It's a long drive for us too. Um, but uh, that's, that's the farthest we've been for competition. I played a few games in Las Vegas at RollerCon, and I also played um, some scrimmages in... Minnesota as well. We'll probably go to Minnesota this year
0: too, possibly. Yeah. Have you seen steady growth throughout the program since you started it about eight years ago?
3: Yeah, uh, it's it is a, it's steady growth. It's a we have a really solid base, a really solid core, and that core keeps expanding. So by core, I mean people that have been with us for several years, uh, and now we have quite a few skaters. I would say that have that are involved in that 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 core that just seems to not want to give up anytime soon (laughs) we're in it
0: so how does scheduling work is it kind of season by season or you just kind of run from one year to the next how does scheduling work
3: we're kind of guided by our uh where our vet uh, when our venue's uh, available so we're fortunate that we're able to practice in the barraga gym in the winter when when we want to but our Bouting ven- venue isn't available until usually April because it's Lakeview Arena, so it's not available till they take the ice off, and uh, and then our home games um, are usually from April until August. We usually have try to have three, maybe sometimes four, uh, and then if we wanted to travel outside of you know from like the February to um, October, uh, outside of that those dates we are able to because there's a lot of other teams that have their bouting venues available in the winter but not the summer. So it's just kind of uh, hooking up with the teams that um, are on the same sort of schedule as you.
0: It's uh you know, it's a contact sport. What have you? What is your style of play? Like I want to ask each of you, what is your style of play?
4: I think that for me, so I first of all last season mostly specialized being an outside blocker which is just like a specific position that I played that I felt the most strongly in and I think that a lot of people who maybe don't know roller derby from the inside think that it's a lot more dangerous than it actually is. We really focus on um, safety in gameplay and so I think that like practicing knowing like where you need to be and how you need to um, control your body um, is like very important and so I, for me, like knowing the footwork and knowing the skills is crucial in being able to be successful while also being safe.
3: Roller derby is a very interesting sport because you're playing offense and defense very often at the exact same time. Um, so it, it's a, it, it's kind of a trick of your brain to know when to switch that on and off which one you're doing at this moment and then in a second that could change uh but i like um i'm i've been a blocker primarily for eight years and i'm a fairly aggressive one i'm kind of known for being an aggressive blocker um but i uh I, i really uh pride myself on uh strategy and understanding the game and the rules and the strategies of the game that can make the difference between um just being a good skater and being a good um teammate and part of a winning team
0: every sport seems to have their own set of terminology and you've said the term fresh meat a little bit i assume that means new players rookies what have you give me some other terms some terminologies exclusive to roller derby
4: Oh gosh I don't know well pepper mentioned the that the, the two of them the main positions you can play are either jammer which is the scoring player or mm-hmm. blocker um there's also a pivot which is kind of like an acting blocker who can become the jammer if the jammer needs to tap out um the jammer takes her her star um off cover off of her uh, helmet
3: and she gives it to the pivot. Mm. The pivot puts that on her helmet and now she's the jammer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's, that position requires somebody to be a, not only a good blocker but also to be a, a decent jammer as well because she, you never know when she's gonna have to do that. Um, one of my very favorite terms is called "eat the baby," <laughs> and <laughs> "eat the baby" is uh, when when you hit somebody out of bounds. They have to come in behind you. So a common strategy is to hit them out of bounds and then skate backwards so that they have to skate outside of the bounds of the track uh, and then come in behind you. Uh, When a jammer does that to another jammer, that other jammer has to go all, she'll go all the way around the track to the front of the pack of her, where her blockers are waiting to scoop up that other jammer. And when they scoop her up, that's called eat the baby because... She brought the jammer all the way around. So that's always been one of my favorite fun terms.
0: We're talking with Pepper and Indy of Dead River Derby here in Marquette. They're getting set for their first home bout here in about two months at the Nagati Ice Arena. Thank you both so much for being here. That was great stuff. Would love to have you on again sometime.
3: Thank you for having us. Thanks you. for
0: having us. Let's take a time out. I've got some Northern Michigan audio for you after this on ESPN UP. Check out the
1: UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN. ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app.
0: Welcome back, Tanner Hoops. With you, glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. Here's your Sports Center update. The Los Angeles Wildcats have fired defensive coordinator Pepper Johnson after just one game. I already love the XFL. LA lost their season opener, 37-17, against Houston on Saturday. One game, and they're already changing DCs. Former Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Mike Bolsinger is suing the Houston Astros organization, claiming that the 2017 sign-stealing scandal ruined his professional career. Bolsinger has not pitched in the majors since August of 2017, when he allowed four runs on four hits and walked three in the third of an inning against Houston. Bolsinger claims that it's like they knew what was coming. I'm excited to see how that turns out. By the way, Marwin Gonzalez, who was a big part of that Astros team, a utility man, hit a career best 303, career best 23 home runs, career best 90 RBIs that year. Now he's with the Twins. He arrived in spring train today and apologized. First player on offense, at least, to publicly apologize for their role in the sign-stealing scandal. And finally, a recent study shows that Reese's peanut butter cups outlasted M&M's as the most popular brand of candy in America. Love me a peanut butter cup, I tell you what. That is your Sports Center update. Glad that you're along. Boy, we could get into something with that whole Mike Bolsinger story. I mean, that's he's got a case. I'm excited to see how that pans out in a court of law because we already do have an admittance of guilt, a couple of pitchers, and at least one offensive player has it today with Marwin Gonzalez. He might have something there. I'm excited to see how that pans out and what the wake of that is going to look like. Pitchers and catchers do report today. I got baseball on the brain here in the studio, but there is one other baseball story that's been trending before we get to our Northern Michigan audio that I want to talk just briefly about. And it's that Major League Baseball is considering expanding the postseason to seven teams in both the American and National League. So three division winners and then four wild cards. Now here's the proposed format that the top team, the top division winner in each league will get a buy into the divisional series. Then the next two divisional winners plus the highest ranked wildcard team will all get to host a three game series, at least a best of three series against a team that they choose. So first it'll be the number two divisional winner will get to choose any of the bottom three wildcard teams who they want to play and then once they've made their selection it'll be the number three divisional winner who gets to pick from the remaining pool of the lower tier wildcard teams and then the highest wildcard team will get to pick the last team really the only option left and then those three teams the two three and four seeds essentially will get to host all games in a best of three series to decide who moves on to the divisional series Some parts of me think there's some interest to this, or at least it piques my interest in some ways. That being said, I still hate it. I still hate it. And I think D.D. Gregorius said it best. You get a little player reaction from today. D.D. Gregorius, Philadelphia Phillies shortstop, formerly with the New York Yankees, said, Why are we changing this lovable sport so much? Put that out on Twitter today. A little more diplomatic than Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer. He said, No idea who made this new playoff format proposal, but Rob is responsible for releasing it, so I'll direct this to you, Rob Manfred. Your proposal is absurd for too many reasons to type on Twitter and proves you have absolutely no clue about baseball. You're a joke. I may not be that cavalier about it, but Trevor Bauer is right in the sense that this format is absurd. I mean, it really is. We're going to have a selection-type show, and teams are going to get a pick, who they want to play in the postseason. To me, this is way too gimmicky. This It is, and I get there are some cool narratives to be had from that. You can have the narrative of some team having a chip on their shoulder. The 7 seed beats the 2 seed because they have a chip on their shoulder about being picked because they thought it would be an easy series win, so they go on and they beat this team on the road. They sweep them. I get there are some narratives to that. But to me, this is way too much of a gimmick. And I know baseball is trying to engage younger fans, trying to engage a younger generation, trying to get more fans back interested in the sport. So they're trying all these kind of gimmicks. And to me, it should have stopped with the pitch clock, with what they're doing in the Atlantic uh, League of Professional Baseball, you know, where you can steal first base on any pitch, I mean, to me, this becomes really gimmicky. And, you know, and I like when maybe there are a few twists and stuff. I like seeing some different rules, some twist on rules, what have you, different takes. But, like I said in a promo that we have going on here right now, what they're doing in the North Korean Professional Basketball League, some of it is just too gimmicky. I wouldn't want to see it in the Pro League, in our Pro League, at the highest level of the sport in the world. I don't want to see that in Major League Baseball. I could go on and on about that, and that is something we're going to keep talking about, especially depending on the outcome of it, because this could happen soon with the collective bargaining agreement ending next year. But for now, let's jump into some Northern Michigan audio. I got the chance to talk with several coaches throughout the day. First, let's start with Grant Patoni and the hockey squad. His team coming off a sweep, well, they were swept, at Mankato this weekend. Coach was asked, is this the biggest series of the year thus far?
5: I would say so. Yeah, I mean, even going into the second half, you know, you you look at the standings, and you know, we we went on a bit of a run, and you're watching what they're doing, and you're thinking that you know they're gonna they got a tough schedule coming up. The first half of the year, they were playing teams that just happened to be at the bottom of the standings, and you know, then they run into Tech and BG and Mankato, and um, you know, you're from afar, you're thinking they might give one up and, and put you in a chance to uh, be able to catch them this weekend and um, they've just kept winning you know and um, now the, you know with, with where we're at in, in the standings where we're at with the schedule um, for us to finish second we have to have a huge weekend.
0: Coach recap the weekend his team getting swept at Mankato including a one nothing loss Saturday night
5: Yeah we, we, we were off Saturday um, you know and, and I actually I don't even think they played very well um, a couple of their goals probably Nolan would have you know, if he gets seized that puck a thousand times, he probably saves it nine hundred ninety nine times. Um, and the, the timing of those goals too was right after we scored, um, affected the game. So, so Saturday, I thought both teams were way better. Um, in 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 those games, usually there's five to six, to maybe seven scoring chances a period. Um, we for the game had seven. The day for the game had six. Um, grade A scoring chances. We had four. They had three. You know, it's like, they scored on theirs, we didn't get any puck luck on ours, Um, but all that being said, penalty kill did a great job, they killed off a five-minute major, we had a chance with a power play um, at the end of the game, and we got a good look, we just didn't score, but um, we can't keep going one for six, 0 for two, 0 for three, like, I don't care how many you score, but in moments like that, that's when you need your power play, and um you know that we didn't deliver, so disappointing that you play the way you played because it, it would completely change the complexion of the standings of the weekend of how you feel if um, if you would have won that game, uh, but you didn't. So you know now we're we're in a spot we got no room for error and um, doesn't get any easier this weekend. Just the only difference is we had a chance to do it at home.
0: So now Bemidji, coach gave us a preview of the Beavers.
5: They're the best structure. Base team for sure in our league and top two or three in college hockey. Um, their sticks are on the rink; they're never out of position. Um, very, very well coached, defensively disciplined team. And the where, the reason they're better this year than they have been in the past is is they're generating more offense. They're scoring more on the power play. Um, they're scoring more off the rush. You know, so the, the typical Bemidji teams. You know, if you could get to three. Um, you felt like you were okay you know this year's team has been scoring their power plays um, done a nice job and, and they've scored early so now they they get up on you and um, you know and with the addition of Driscoll who's who's having a great year you know even if you get by him it's hard to score so they um, that's the biggest difference for me is is they've always been a very good defensive team now they just they have more sticks up front um, more depth on the back end and, and they make more plays.
0: Coach was asked what he expects this week. Will it be a typical Saratori team coming to the Barry Event Center, or what do we expect from Bemidji?
5: You know, they they the difference to me is I think they have way more confidence with the puck. Um, at times in the past, there there'd be um, stretches of the game where you know they would make it tough on you because there'd be bouncing puck in the neutral zone and, and they'd be skating into it. All uh, some of the other teams in our league that have done that. Now they make it hard on you and they go tape to tape through the middle of the rink to wide speed. And that's where I, I, like, That's where something we have to be ready for. Um, We've got to make sure that when the puck's in their end, their, their forwards pressure out to the point as good as anybody and get in the way of shots as good as anybody. So we have to get it by that first layer and have a chance. Like if the forwards are going to work that hard to get that puck out of a scrum, out of a swarm, whatever you want to call it, and get it out into open space as a decoy, we got to make a play and we can't just rim it back down the boards and uh, make them go fetch it again. You know, that's, that's going to be important. Um, you know, we're going to have to score in the power play. You know, you're not, you're not going to, if you think you're going to get um, three or four or five on five goals, um, you're kidding yourself. You're just, you're not. Um, and we got to defend like crazy. You know, like those are the two areas that I think we have to be better. The, the penalty kill we made an adjustment last week and I think helped the guys uh, on Saturday so hopefully that continues, but you know you gotta you gotta generate the power play and you have to score and and you have to defend like crazy because you can't let them get up on you.
2: How
0: about their goaltending? How have they looked in that?
5: Playing great. Um, you know, had a always was a very good goalie in junior hockey. Very good goalie in high school hockey. Um, for whatever reason, didn't work at St. Cloud. Uh, went back to the USHL, and had another great season, and, and just has rolled it through um, Bemidji. So um, that's the other thing. You're not going to get a lot of chances, but when you do, you got to make them count. And, and you can't miss the net. Um, you can't pass up shots. You know, it's just they, they're. It's the best Bemidji team um, by far since uh, since I've been in the league, and um, there's a reason that they are where they are.
0: Northern looks like they're going to finish top three in the WCHA this year. They could finish top two with a really good showing this weekend. Coach was asked, do you guys focus on where you are in the standings right now?
5: I think you got to look at the standings, you know, to, um, to, it, because we understand the value of two versus three, you know, and um, that, that's all assuming you can get by your first round of the playoffs. But playing a, um, a team that is that close to you in the standings at home, is is much different than playing that team on the road you know and and whoever it ends up being you know whether it was bowling green for two years in a row um whether it's bemidji this year you know kind of looks like we're going to finish two three um you really really would like to have those games at home
0: That's Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni. His team looking to bounce back this weekend hosting Bemidji State. Before we hit the break, let's talk a little lacrosse because Northern Michigan Wildcat lacrosse they are just about set to get their season underway and they do so with a new coach at the helm, Lindsay LeMay, made herself available to the media today. She told us what the locker room is like in the final weeks of the preseason.
6: Feeling good. I feel like I've been waiting a long time to actually do my job, and we finally have a game this weekend. So, pretty excited to actually see my kids play against a team that's not themselves. It's about time.
0: Lindsey comes to Northern from Wartburg College in Waverly, Iowa. She was an assistant coach there. She talked about what enticed her to come to Northern.
6: I'm from Oregon originally, so like the UP really reminds me a lot of the Pacific Northwest. So like immediately when you like fly into the airport is just giant pine trees, and that's very familiar to me. And then, like, the big lake reminds me a lot of the ocean. So it's just, like, a very familiar feeling, as long as you don't um, account for all the snow.
0: Coach was asked about building off last year's success and if that's been on the players' minds here early on.
6: Definitely. We have a really strong freshman class. we got a group of eight kids, and they're all very tall, and they're all very fast. And I expect them all to make an impact right away and just definitely changed the way that we've played Um, also like my attack style and defense style is totally different from what they've done in the past so just generally you're not going to see any of the same sort of thing that you saw in the last year so yes i expect to see progress
0: lastly coach talked about some key players who's going to step up and take on big roles for the squad this year
6: i think number 20 angelica bogdan's gonna have a really good senior year she's always played but she's been a little bit quiet and this year i'm gonna put the ball in her hands a lot so i expect to see her step up And then um, we have a freshman out of Minnetonka, Minnesota that's going to be dominant. Her name's Minnie Biddle. She's number 12. She takes the draw. She's really tall. She's really good. You'll know which kid she is right away because she's lanky and fast. And, like, she gets out in front of people. We also have a kid from New Zealand that's that's built kind of the same. She's tall. She's lanky. She's going to outrun people. Her name's Amber Hope. she plays a little different from any kids I've ever seen, but I think that's probably because she's from New Zealand and they play different down there, um, but she can run for days. And then my other freshman that I'm really excited about is Lauren Regal. Um, she's from downstate Michigan, which is cool. It's always good to get Michigan kids. And she's 5'11 um, and a half, um, lanky blonde girl that like is going to outrun everyone. So it's basically my strategy this year is just like toss freshmen at the field and hope they outrun people.
0: That's Lindsay LeMay, the new lacrosse coach at Northern Michigan. Her team getting set to start the new season. Let's take a time out. I've got more audio for you from Northern Basketball after this on ESPN UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app.
0: If you missed any of today's show, it's available on demand with the Sports Pen Podcast. Be sure to check it out by getting our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or checking out ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're with us as we wind down this Tuesday afternoon. I got more Northern Michigan audio for you. That of the basketball squads. Troy Matson and Matt Mackersack. Don't forget, we've got basketball on ESPNUP UP this evening, 7:30. Is the pregame 7:30 Eastern? Will be the pregame 7:45 tip right here in ESPN UP as Westwood goes across the time zone border and will take on Iron Mountain and Girls action this evening. Again, 7:45 Eastern will be the tip, so that's about 30 minutes later than normal. Let's get into some Northern Michigan audio and let's begin on the women's basketball side of things. Troy Matson coming off a game that. His team was able to outlast Purdue Northwest in and get the win on Saturday. Coach was asked how you feeling? You know, you said after the game Saturday you were tired but relieved.
7: Yeah, we're going to feel that way for the rest of the way out. I mean, it's just that time of year. I mean, every game is there's a lot of stress in every game. Um, Every game is really, really important and uh, you can't slip up and you have to win at home. And uh, Fortunately, we were able to do that this weekend and we got three of our last five at home and they're going to be huge and important games, but uh, we got to go on the road first, and we need to play well up at Lake Superior State to get started.
0: So now a road trip to Lake Superior State? It's never easy, and Coach was sure to highlight that.
7: You know, there's nothing easy on the road, and it's not an easy place to play. And and um, you know, I was just watching the film again today for about the fourth time, and if they make a couple shots, I mean, it's... You know, we only had about a 10 or 12 point lead. I mean, I think the score at halftime was 26 to 14, and and uh, they make a couple shots, and you got yourself a five or six point game, which I'm kind of anticipating when we go over there. Um, the one thing I got to feel comfortable is that I think um, if we continue to defend the way we do, uh, we will bother them. You know, which gives us an opportunity. But um, you know, we, no secret here, we need to have other people step up. And make shots around Jessica, and then I'll feel a lot more comfortable as the game has gone as long, as long as we defend the way we've been.
0: Aaron Honkel has been dealing with injury. Coach was asked what her status is for Saturday.
7: We're gonna to try to play Aaron. Um, I'm shooting for 10 minutes, maybe two minutes, uh, two or three minutes each quarter. Um, would be uh, just to get her back a little bit to see how her knee is doing, and whether or not she can defend or not is my biggest question. Um, if she can't defend, uh, can't keep her out on the court, uh, because we can't give up baskets. So that's going to be the biggest thing. She's not healthy. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. And she wants to play. It's her senior year. And they just ordered a new brace for her, and we'll see how it goes.
0: So is anybody on this team getting more healthy?
7: No. Liz Lutz is hurt. People. I mean, this girl has not practiced in over a year. I mean, she goes right to the training room and she sits in a training room and and we practice without her. Uh, She plays in the games. And uh, Thursday night she's been really productive. I mean, so she gets rest on Sunday through Thursday, but the Saturday games have really bothered her. I mean, she has not played well on Saturdays. She can't get any lift in her shot. Uh, Like I said before, she's having ankle surgery as soon as the season's over again. And uh, so, uh, you know. She wanted to be limited for Thursday's game, and I said, if we don't win Thursday's game, Saturday's game doesn't really mean a whole hell of a lot to us, you know. So we gotta just, we gotta go in and try to beat Lake Superior, and, and if she has to play 30 minutes, she's got to play 30 minutes, and she's gonna have to try to suck it up on Saturday. So uh, it's kind of what she's been doing for about a year now. But um, so that, that one's been, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do about it, you know. But uh, I, I just don't like all the minutes that our girls are playing right now. Uh, we're just not getting any help and uh, hopefully we can uh, get some people to make some shots and uh, make it a little bit easier on us all the way around.
0: Jessica Schultz is now the GLIAC Player of the Week in back-to-back weeks. She had a monster effort Saturday, career-high 36 points. Coach was asked about her effort.
7: I hope she gets three more. I hope she wins five in a row, to tell you the truth. If she wins five in a row, we're probably going to win out here. Um, She's just been unbelievable since Christmas time. And uh, she has especially since Aaron has gotten injured and we lost all those points with Aaron and she has just taken the whole team on her back and she's playing with great confidence and she's playing like a senior is supposed to play, you know, early in the season she wasn't, Uh, her and I didn't have a very good uh, um, meeting and um, but ever since that meeting she has uh, turned it around and has really just carried us to be honest with you and and I'm really proud for her. She's been great about it, and uh, hopefully she can continue.
0: As Troy Matson, Northern Michigan women's basketball head coach, let's turn to the men's side of things. Matt Mackerzak and his squad dropping an overtime contest to Purdue Northwest on Saturday inside the Barry Event Center. Coach said it didn't sink in after the game. He was asked, "When did it sink in?"
8: I don't know, probably Sunday sometime. I watched a lot of film, um, not just on that game, but just tried to kind of figure out what we can do to get our offense going. Um, spent a lot of time Saturday night and Sunday just trying to figure out any any magic formula. And um, I don't know if I came up with one, but um, definitely just spent a lot of time trying to kind of piece together how we could play that poorly on offense.
0: Now Northern didn't shoot the ball well in that game. Inside the arc, they were nine of 42 it was an uncharacteristic shooting day coach talked about what went wrong on saturday
8: it was fascinating watching the game in some ways because it felt like there were about 10 to 15 things that if any one of them would have broke our way we win and none of them did and uh it, it was tough because i think our effort was there i think our energy was there uh, execution wasn't necessarily there but it also wasn't terrible it wasn't like we were just giving them easy shots or it wasn't like we were taking terrible shots we just we just couldn't finish and um, we've had you know our fair share of offensive issues but I don't think any of them have been that before so it was kind of a a weird to watch on film and live it felt very um, just different and odd it was almost like one of those games where you just you expected it something to happen that never did.
0: Well, now it's a trip up to Lake Superior State. Traditionally, it never comes easy. Coach gave us a preview of this week's Lata Games.
8: Well, I don't think it won't be that easy again. I mean, they, um, and I, I, they, for about, I, I don't know the exact number, but for about six, seven years, I don't think Northern had beaten Lake State at all, home or away. And, uh, last year they kind of finally snapped that streak and, um, then we were able to get them the first time this year, um, obviously, if you just look at the at the two schools you would you'd like to think that Northern would be a a better basketball school, but that just hasn't been the case lately and I think in a lot of ways, the tech rivalry is always going to be what it is. but I think the Lake State series is going to be a very important one going forward um, because they've dominated it recently and I'd like to think that we're able to kind of flip that um, you know hopefully in the in the coming years and so obviously this is a huge game for that because we beat them the first time and um, if we can start to be better than them consistently that's going to go a long way towards standings and things like that for not just this year but for future years and so in a lot of ways this is to me, our biggest game of the year, um, and, and I kind of thought going into the year, this was one I kind of had in my mind is an absolutely huge game, both Lake State games. And um, when you look at the standings, it certainly um, is going to be that because if, if we can get a win, we're going to be in really good position to make the conference tournament. Uh, we'd still have an outside shot of hosting a, a game in the conference tournament with a loss. We're probably on the outside looking in, uh, in, maybe not directly standings, but if you look at schedules and some of that kind of stuff, it, it, it makes the road a whole lot harder. So um, absolutely huge game in kind of all the ways. And in some ways, that's, it's almost nice coming out of the Purdue game to have that because it, it doesn't allow you a whole lot of time to dwell on, on feeling sorry for yourself
0: coach was asked do you pay much attention to the standings do your guys ever look at that you know where you stand what have you
8: it's a little different because they're in a position where it's it's obvious where they're at and uh we'll have that that game at some point coming up um probably the tech game if if not before then um but this is still there's still so much kind of ups and downs to be had yet in this season um, we know it's an important game. We know it's an important game for the standings. But um, to be honest with you, I couldn't even tell you what, what everyone's record and where everyone's at because um, it's kind of like if we can just keep taking care of business, we'll, we'll be fine. And um, it's been frustrating because I usually look at the standings finally on Sunday. And uh, both weekends, I'm like, man, if we would have just gotten one, we'd be, we'd be in third. We'd be, um, you know, it, I'm kind of surprised that we're kind of hanging in there as high up in the standings as we are. Um, but again, all we can do is just try to keep winning one at a time. Um, and then hopefully at the end when you look at it, it, it you keep looking and you keep being in good spots.
0: That's Northern Michigan men's basketball head coach Matt Mackerzak, his team getting set to take on Lake State later this week. That's going to do it for our show. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place for Eastern, 3 Central, and it's my hope you join me. Tune in for Patriot Basketball on ESPN-UP this evening. About two and a half hours from now, I'll be live with Jared Koski from Iron Mountain with a play-by-play, and it's my hope you join me. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN-UPWZ. I'm Ishba Bing Marquette.